0: The Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Now batting number one in our hearts, at least he'd like to think so. It's the Gym Day Podcast. Hi, hello, and welcome again to the Gym Day Podcast. Thanks for clicking on us or checking us out. Uh, We really appreciate it and we are presented by Kroger and so glad to have them aboard and got to tell you, I mean, we've been singing the praises of so many that have been keeping our society going uh, through this pandemic. And certainly those workers at Kroger are on that list and high on the list because uh, it's really been amazing what they have been able to do and, in our ever-changing world, and I've never found myself shopping at Kroger more. Actually, uh, I'm a guy that's, uh, you know, usually on the go with his job, and not as much time to cook at home or eat at home even as I have now. And the fact that they've been able to keep us going, and those that have been working tireless hours. Uh, and on the front lines, and putting themselves in harm's way to restock the shelves, and uh, doing a terrific job. And thank you so much to everyone that works at Kroger and everyone working in the service industry around the country. All right, we got another treat here. Uh, if, If you know me, you know I like old baseball stories, new baseball stories, any baseball stories. And when you talk about Jim Maloney... Of course, the first thing that comes to mind is that fireball fastball that he had, and one of the best ever. And you probably know the story if you know the history of baseball, that had he not been injured, or had he had the medical uh, that they have today, that we might be talking about a National Baseball Hall of Famer, not just a Reds Hall of Famer. But you want to talk about Hall of Fame storyteller? That is Jim Maloney. And some of these stories, uh, you're going to be like, wow, really? Really? I'll just let you enjoy. Sit back and laugh. Sit back and enjoy one of the treasures of the game and really one of the treasures of a person who himself has had an incredible journey. It's Jim Maloney on the Jim Day Podcast, presented by Kroger. I am sitting across from a legend, one of my favorite guys I've, ever met, one of my favorite former Reds. Uh, love this guy, the legend, Reds Hall of Famer, Jim Maloney. How you doing?
1: I'm doing okay, Jim. After an in- introduction like that, I can hardly wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, seriously,
0: I mean, you look at, at your career, and you were uh, well ahead of your time as far as velocity goes, um, a power pitcher. Um, how many no-hitters you th- throw?
1: Well, I threw uh, three. They get, yeah. but they gave me credit for two. Actually, right, exactly. you know? well, there's we got, some
0: gray area there.
1: Yeah, there, there's some real gray area. There, a guy hit a home run off me in the eleventh inning, and so they counted it for a long time as a no hitter. Yeah. But then they changed it when uh, they uh, put the asterisk by Maris's name when he hit sixty-one home runs uh, right. in in uh, one hundred sixty-two games. Right. So I got taken off with a lot of other guys. There so was it was other a home guys. run in the eleventh, though. Yes, it was. I had a ten inning <laughs> no hitter. It was ten innings no hitter. Yeah, That's how about just, that? Yeah, uh, you wouldn't see that today. No, uh, just
0: no, no shot. They wouldn't. I uh, mean, you barely see nine inning uh, no hitters.
1: Yeah, no. It uh, well, if it, I've seen uh, today where they have a, uh, a kid will have a no hitter going, they take him out in the seventh inning. Yeah. Know, oh got yeah, too no, many there's pitches.
0: a big. Yeah, you've got the combined no hitter. Oh stat boy, now. yeah okay <laughs> see i love this no no you know not to demean baseball's changed there's just no way around it not to demean what's going on but i love uh the you guys that played back in the day and, and i mentioned a phrase like combine no hitter oh okay combined no hitter
1: <laughs> shouldn't count right no absolutely <laughs> you got to when they when the manager handed you the ball and so say you go as hard and Long as you can, Oh, no doubt about it. Now, how how many pitches did you throw in these no hitters? Well, the one in Chicago where I the game I won one to nothing was it was a little bit uh, uh, it was a little sloppy. I, I mean, uh, I really I had good stuff, but I was a little bit erratic. And I think I walked like ten guys, I struck out like thirteen, and hit two guys. But I ended up throwing one hundred eighty seven pitches. Goodness.
0: When a guy gets to 87 pitches nowadays, like, oh, boy, reaching that 100-pitch mark, his arm might fall off.
1: Well, then you have you have 187, then you, then you warm up. I figure I threw 50 or so warming up, and then eight pitches in between innings for 10 innings. That's another 80 pitches. I probably threw probably well over 300 pitches that day.
0: And we're talking a four-man rotation back That's then. That's
1: right. That's right. Poor so. man <laughs> four man.
0: yeah so it's not a they five went to a five, five
1: man they uh, finally they went to a five man and to be honest with you i i was really gonna have trouble staying on a four-day uh game day you know uh, when they went to five starters that really helped, helped really? me. oh yes. yeah
0: i bet i mean it, it would have to prolong careers right and, uh they mentioned you of like if he wouldn't have gotten hurt man we might be talking about a National Baseball Hall of Famer. What was the injury that
1: really did you win? It, it wasn't arm.
0: Was it Achilles?
1: Yeah, it was Achilles tendon. I uh, had had trouble in 1969 the whole year with my heel. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a complainer or anything, but I I told the trainer, and then uh, they did x-rays, and, uh, and then Hausen, I talked to Hausen, and Hausen told me that uh, – he didn't think it was too serious. And he, it, it, what sort of really got me is he told me that, he said that I didn't have any pain tolerance and that Bob Gibson pitched with uh, pain and stuff, his shoulder and all that kind of stuff. And I said, that really upset me. But uh, so I didn't say anything anymore that year. And then hopefully that uh, offseason that I would, my, my it would heal on its own. You know, I would get, my heel would come back. And then in 1970, I... Uh, I, I was holding out on my contract because they wanted to cut me. They wanted to cut me two thousand dollars, and I'd won twelve and lost five the year before in '69. And I told them, I said, "I'm. Not, I, I. don't want to take a cut. I'm not taking a cut." And so then uh, I started spring training late. I did. I finally ended up signing, and uh, I took a two thousand dollar cut. That's the way they. They things were and. Uh, wow to think so, of uh
0: two uh, thousand dollar cut yeah
1: in that's those days it, i mean that but anyway uh, spending
0: money that's walking around money nowadays yeah that
1: uh it's um so we uh when i started running in the outfield it, my heels started bothering me again and so i just didn't say anything i i built up a little sponge in my heel where my heel would stick a little bit out of my shoe where the The back end of the shoe wouldn't rub around the back part where my Achilles inserted in there. So it gave me a little relief when I pitched. But when I pushed off to run, that's when it really bothered me. So I started the third game of the season against the Dodgers and came up to hit the first time. Hit a ball up the middle and took one step out of the uh, batter's box, and it went pop. And Tom Howler, the catcher, he heard it pop, and the umpire heard it pop. And, I, and uh, so I took a couple of steps, and Ted Glazuski was the first base coach. Mm-hmm. Came over and wanted to know what happened, and I said, I don't think it's good. I don't know what happened. I mean, but I I couldn't. My leg was dangling like a horse with a broken leg, you know, broken foot. Ugh. so Wow. That's what happened. I never, And if
0: you only had the surgical procedures that they have nowadays, you could have made it back.
1: Yeah, well, uh I don't know, and we'll never know the answer to that question. Yeah, that was uh,
0: 1970, right? Yeah. You know that was, uh, boy, that was a heck of a team in 1970. Yes, it was. When I talked to Pete Rose, he said, "And I was talking about the the most talented, the best team, and we were talking about talking about 75 and 76." He says, "Maybe the best team I played on was 1970. We just got injured." The first yeah. half of nineteen seventy was it was right. incredible. So, yeah. well, they had he,
1: Wayne Simpson as a pitcher. And he yeah. did. He won like nine straight games, and then he had arm problems, and he was out of baseball in a year and a half. So, yeah, you know, wow,
0: what what, what could have been?
1: Yeah, what could have been? Exactly.
0: Yeah, but uh, you were known as one of the hardest throwing pitchers in the sixties. Uh, what did they clock you at ninety nine? Although that's probably
1: what clock? What kind of clock? I don't they know. They didn't have a clock. There was no <laughs> clock. All I know is that when they left the park, they were going 400-and-some miles an hour.
0: <laughs> Ten or more games you won from 63 to uh, 69, recorded over 200 strikeouts, four consecutive seasons, and, of course, those no-hitters. Now, what was it uh, like being a Cincinnati Red in the 1960s? Crosley
1: Field. Uh, I liked it. I really I really liked it. I uh, When I signed and... Uh, I signed with I had a major league contract so I, had, I signed for some money they gave me a bonus I had a decent bonus a hundred thousand dollars it was a lot of money in 1959 oh yeah so I went to the clubhouse I flew all the way to Tampa and got in the clubhouse and oh uh, man there was Frank Robinson you know there was Veda Pence and there was Gus Bell yeah you know David Bell's right. grand, grandfather and Wally Post and Ed Bailey and all these guys I've been reading about in sports magazines. I was in the same clubhouse with them, so it was quite a uh, thrill. I just sort of shut up and sort of listened and sort of took direction. And I had signed on April Fool's Day, which was April 1st, 1959. So when I got to the Tampa, the team broke camp like April 5th. So I was only there for four or five days, and then they sent me to Plant City uh, with the other minor league teams. And uh, I hooked, I was on with uh, Johnny Vandermeer. Johnny Vandermeer was my manager. In Topeka. That's why I ended up in Topeka was. First year in the minor that? leagues. Johnny Vandermeer. I mean, yeah. Double no it.
0: Oh, yeah. You obviously read all about him, and then all of a sudden he's your manager. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's a record that'll never be broken. Oh,
0: no chance.
1: It might be tied, but to break it. I, I don't
0: know. know if that'll even ever be tied in today's baseball.
1: Oh, no. Know. Not today's I... baseball. No, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to tie that record. Yeah. No
0: way. No, that's one of those... uh unattainable ones yeah I mean, i'm not sure they'll get the um dimaggio's hit streak record i mean pete came the closest to that um boy yeah
1: it's tough those records are really tough really yeah I mean,
0: uh, um how about uh 1960s uh pete rose what was he like as a young guy
1: oh uh, he was uh he put a little mustard on the hot dog and uh that's the way he was, you know. He started that deal where in spring training that he'd get a ball four and he'd run to first base fa- faster than I could wide open, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, boy, this guy's asking for some trouble, you know, with oh, the yeah. other opposing pitchers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, he got hit, I think, a few times, and but he just kept running to first base on ball four. And pretty soon, I think it was Whitey Ford or something, we were playing the Yankees. they called him Charlie Hustle. Right. And then they they just figured that's the way that that kid played ball, and uh, so he he gained the respect of it, uh, of right. the other opposing players.
0: Now, what are some things back then that would tick off uh, a pitcher, in which you might let one slip and put one in the ribs a little bit? It was a different game back then. What are some of the things if a guy dug? I mean, they talk about Bob Gibson if you know if he dug his spikes in too much that he would brush him back. What, what were some things
1: that were the so-called unwritten rules? Well, I think that, uh, you know, if a guy – we didn't have too much with guys standing there at home plate uh, watching the ball leave the ballpark and not even move. <laughs> uh, the, the, if that started then in the 60s, I don't think it did, but we certainly wouldn't have uh, – there wouldn't be very many of them watching – the ball leave the ballpark, they'd be running to first base. And uh, but uh, I I don't know. It was just um, uh, you know I can I can honestly say what uh, what happened was uh, Frank Robinson got hit a lot because he stood on the plate, and I can remember uh, just a story that I have that happened that um, that uh, we we're playing the Dodgers and. I don't know who was pitching, but he, he, they hit Robinson in the ribs. He just went to first base, and uh, so he came back to the – I was pitching. I was pitching in the game, and he came back to the dugout, and I walked over just, sil- you know, cautious, you know, nonchalantly, and I said, hey, Frank, who do you want me to get? So I was going to retaliate for him, whoever he wanted, you know. Yeah. And uh, he and he told me, he says, I don't think they were throwing at me. And I said, well – I'll I'll, you know whoever you want me to get I mean that's fine I mean we'll we'll stop this nonsense he didn't say much else so I did so I come up to hit and John Roseboro was a catcher and I was a left-hand hitter so I walked behind him from the dugout across the field I walked behind him to get in the in the box and as I walked behind him I said uh, I said I looked at him and I said I didn't even know Roseboro I never I never talked to him and or did anything, I mean, I looked at him and I said, hey, I said, "Um, Frank Robinson, if he he gets hit again, I think Drysdale was pitching. I think if he gets hit again, I I says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit you, Mr. Roseboro, as hard as I can with my hardest fastball. I'm going to try to throw it right through your midsection. (laughs) His eyes go up big as saucers. And the umpire he didn't you know, he looking at me too and I just got in the plate and I started hitting him but we never had any problem the rest of the game. Heck yeah, cuz you threw purple digits with so, the fastball. But anyway, I don't know if that had a deal but I certainly told him that we're not going to tolerate that stuff. You know, players could ma- players managed the, the the stuff that went on the field in those days. You know, they they uh they took care of what, what you know what what's happening, you know, today uh, one of the big things that get me is the fraternizing that goes on. I, I can't stand that. I can't stand a guy getting a hit, watching a guy get a hit off a pitcher, a Cincinnati pitcher, go to second base, get a double, and the second baseman come over and hit the guy in the butt, you know, and say like something like, nice hit or something like What's that all about? You know, I, I never talk to anybody. I mean, uh, I don't care. Uh, I know guys have friends that get traded. We did, too. But I never, you know, if you want to talk to somebody, a friend, you talk to him after the game. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It took a long
0: time um, for, you know, because it gradually started changing, especially the free agency and how frequent it is and guys going to different teams now. Uh, they have the same agents, et cetera. Um, but back when you played, man, the, you, there was just no fret not, fraternizing at all. No, I mean, I mean you, you,
1: look at hockey. Those guys all played in different teams and stuff. You never see any uh, – Fraternizing one at the before the game or right. after, maybe after the game to go to dinner or something. But, yeah. you know, that's that's the way I – I mean, that's just the way I was brought up. I can't stand it. I cannot stand guys putting their arms all over each other while the game's going on and how you doing, nice hit. Uh, you know, hey, forget it. I mean, that's uh, that's just one of my pet peeves on on the way the game is played today. I don't like it. Yeah. What
0: are some other pet peeves? And I, I'm not looking for you to demean uh, the players today or the game. It's just totally different. It's um, completely different. And we'll say completely different, but very much different from what you played. Are there some other things that well, just
1: bother you? Well, uh, you know, they've, they've taken out all this stuff about not running over the catcher and the second baseman moving him, you know, where you can't – slide after him for a double play or you know try to make him so you can break up a double play all that stuff is uh you know it's looked as as safety re, re you know deals or whatever but uh you know there was that's just the game was, was the game was played you could run into bill mazarowski at second base and you'd run into a stump you know i mean you weren't going anywhere uh and uh you know uh, they look at it as safety today everything was all safe these hitters they got all kinds of armor on them they got a mask on. they got a helmet with a thing coming around the front of their face you can't even see their face for crying out loud so that just gives a hitter that much more ability to stand in there he's going to dig in and he's going to he's not going to be afraid of uh or of uh or being aware of being hit and uh uh, so then when a pitcher comes inside just a little bit they get all get upset the umpires and everything else so that's all changed you know but it's like I said in my in my day it was all monitored by the by the players oh yeah police you, know, so, you guys police it, the game that's yourselves. Right. yeah that's right
0: um, you were one of the all-time great storytellers I mean some of the uh, stories you've told over the years <laughs> uh, when I say red's legend not only on the field but off at telling some stories and my favorite well i've got a lot of favorites of yours but um is your story about a young johnny bench that <laughs> uh <laughs> can you i think you know what's well yeah
1: um when bench first came up uh, i was i was like 26 years old i believe and he was like 19 and everybody knew he he came in from uh, buffalo i think they brought him up from buffalo he was in buffalo and everybody knew that he was a Hall of Famer. I mean, just the way he carried himself at that time. I mean, he was, but he was awful cocky. I mean, he was, uh, he was arrogant to be around. I mean, he just thought, you know, he was hot stuff, and which he was, he could back it up, you know, like a yeah. Muhammad Ali, more right. you might say. And uh, so anyway, at that particular time in my, uh, my career, I was uh, fooling around with a uh, uh, spitball. <laughs> and I love uh, it. now, the, was it actual spit or was no, it a foreign no, no, substance? No. I was just—I'm going to get to that. Okay. But uh, it—but right. it, uh, it was a uh, when I was home in the winter. A friend of mine, my that delivered two of my children, uh, was a doctor, and uh, he was a Yankees fan, and he liked pitching. And he's—we're and we talking about spitballs because of Whitey Ford was throwing them in those days, and he says why don't you ever try this KY jelly? And I, I said, no. So he gave me, a, a, I don't know, 15, 20 tubes. I took him to spring training with me. So anyway, I had been working with a KY jelly ball, you know, like a spitball. And I threw it hard. And if the catcher didn't know it was coming, he couldn't catch it. I mean, it would bust out. Uh, it come up to the plate and explode. And they couldn't hit it. I don't, I don't remember anybody ever getting a hit off of it, But I didn't throw it that much. I just threw it when spots where I needed to. Yeah. Like a guy on third base with right. two strikes, got the KY jelly ball going. And it's <laughs> adios. It's over with. And, so anyway, so we go over the hitters before the game and bench, you know, he says, and so I tell him, I said, John, I, says, I got this KY jelly ball. And he just was brought up and he says um, – I says, I think we'll need a sign. You know, you'll need a sign so uh, you'll know it's coming so you can adjust, you know, to catch the ball. He looked at me and he says, you throw it, I'll catch it. (laughs) I said, oh, I said to myself, oh, boy, this guy's, you know, okay. So we started the game. I didn't say anything. So I wasn't going to throw it with anybody on base or anything. So I waited. I got two outs and and, and nobody on in the first inning. And I loaded it up. I had it on the back of my neck. I had it under on my belt. And so I could just go in between. i get it on my two fingers and put it on the smooth part of the ball. And um, so I loaded it up. And he called for a fastball. And I threw it. And, and he put his glove up. And he didn't even get a glove on it. And it dropped so fast it hit him in the foot. Hit him in the toe. And, you know, off the end of the shin guard there. And he went down on one knee and let out a, ooh, you know, noise. We are at Grogley field. And so the ball caromed off, and so I figured, well, he's going to say something. Now, he just said nothing. He got a new ball, threw it out to me, so I got him out. The next inning, same thing. I got two outs, nobody on, and I loaded it up with a KY jelly Called for a fastball, and I threw it, and I let it go a little bit on a high, about a shoulder high, and it, he jumped up off his crouch, crouch and the ball went up, and then the ball started to explode down, and he didn't get any, anywhere near it, and it hit him in the cup. It broke his cup in half. It cracked his, cap, his cup in half. So he goes down on all fours on home plate at Crosley Field. There's 20,000 people in the stands, and he's going, Ooh, ooh, ooh. He sounds like a wounded buffalo. And uh, so I walk up there, and he's laying on. He's, oh, oh. <laughs> the trainer comes out, and they turn him over on his, on his back. And you know how they pull up his belt. You know, yeah. they do that thing because it's bothering right. him down there. And he's pulling up, oh. And about 10 minutes went by, and he finally gets up and shook himself. And so I got a ball from the umpire, and I started to walk back to the mound. I got up to the mound. I turn around, there's bench right behind me. He's looking at me, and he's got his helmet up on his uh, mask up on his helmet, and he says, "I think I need a sign for that pitch." <laughs> 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 brought him down. To, brought him down to size. That he, anyway. But I don't know if I ever told the other bench story about uh, flying on the airplane. Oh, will lay it on us. Okay. Well, uh, the uh, he, another thing is when he he's from Binger, Oklahoma. He didn't like to fly. Really. And uh, he was leery of it. He'd never been on much of a plane deal. So he got into Tampa. And uh, so they had a list right away. They put guys that were going to Miami. So we'd fly over to Miami, and they'd play two or three games up. uh, Pompano Beach, that was Washington. Then they had West Palm, was Atlanta. And then Miami was uh, uh, Baltimore. Baltimore was in Miami in those days. So we'd fly to uh, uh, Miami and then play two or three games and fly back to Tampa. So anyway, we're all sitting there and he's saying, boy, well, I hope I don't even, I don't hope I don't go on that trip. I said, why? He said, well, I'm a little leery about flying. I says, ah, I said, don't worry about it. I says, Whatever. So I went over there and my name was on it, on the list, because uh, I was going to start a game, I don't know, with Pompano or something. I had to be on the team, so, and his name was on the list. Oh, so he's going, I said, listen. I says, just meet me out there at the, at the plane. Well, I said we go on the bus. I said you want to sit next to me. I'll I, I'll get you through this thing. Okay, okay, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Okay, fine. So he was he was calming down a little bit, and then he says, so we got out there and we got on the plane, and they had these uh, DC three or DC six Bs. They had four motors on each or two meter uh, motors on each wing. It was just before we started flying jets, and that plane was a fine plane. It would go about like three seventy five, three hundred seventy five miles an hour. So Anyway, we had the same crew all the time and they would come on the fifth inning of an exhibition game and they'd sit there and watch the first five innings and then they'd go back out to the airport and get the plane ready. because at the end of the game we were going to bus out to the airport and get on the plane. So anyway, they stayed, they got they left and uh, we finished the game, we got dressed and we'd go out to the ball uh, to the airport in Tampa there. There's a the plane. So the bus pulls up and we get off and get on the plane. But and Bench sits down next to me. And I says, now, don't worry about anything, John. And he says, uh, this guy's been flying our flights. He's Captain Al. I didn't even know what his last name. He called himself Captain Al. Always had his tie on crooked and his hat off, cocked off to the side. And uh, he didn't look any more like a pilot than I did. But uh, <laughs> he flew. He flew our plane anyway. I says, okay. So he gets a there, and he says, uh, clicks on. So hi, this is Captain Al, guys. He says, well, that was a great game today. Frank Robinson hit the home run. Nice going, Frank. He says, I'll get up as soon as we get out here and warm up and get taked off. He says, I'll I'll get back to you and I'll give you information on the flight over to Miami. Talk to you later. Bang. So then he starts swarming each engine up, you know, and it goes, beep. You know, starts that noise, and a big puff of smoke comes out, and Bench jumped back in the seat. I said, don't worry about that. I said, everyone, I'm going to have a puff of smoke come out of their engine. That's just part of the deal. Then they're going to rev them up a little bit, and then we're going to taxi out. Then they're going to synchronize these engines at the runway before he takes off. Oh, okay. So he got all going, he said, we started taxiing out, got out the end there. And so anyway, he started revving one in, and, oh, and the plane started shaking a little bit. And he said, I don't. I don't like this. I don't like the way this thing's shaking. I says it's got the brake on us. We don't, <laughs> He's got to do this to synchronize these engines so when we take off, it's, they're all going together in the same speed. So anyway, he says, okay, that's good. So anyway, he takes off, gets up. We get up about 5,000, 6,000 feet, and Captain Al comes on. He says, hey, this is Captain Al again. He says, we're going to have a nice little easy flight over here, little puffy clouds. He said, we'll be up around 10,000 feet. We're coming over here to Miami, about an hour flight from here. So he says, I just think you guys just need to sit back in your seat and relax. And, oh, my God, no. Click. Total silence. Bench jumped back in his seat. His head hit the back of the seat. And I, I was a little bit shook up, too, because I would never had that happen where the guy said something like that and then just cut the sound off. And everybody was looking at each other on the plane. The plane seemed to be okay. So then uh, about a minute, long minute went by, and uh, it clicked on again. And says, hey, this is Captain Al again. Sorry, guys. He says, he's sort of laughing. He says, you should have. <laughs> she says, you guessed what would have happened to me. He says, you never would have guessed what happened to me. He says, the stewardess came in, and she says, she tripped on the, the, the thing here, the thing on the floor, and spilled the coffee and cream all over the front of my pants. He says, you ought to see the front of my pants. And Bench jumped up. He says, you ought to see the back of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Bench was fast, boy. He he was an old boy. He was shook. He was shook up. (laughs) I'm sure he's flown
0: many times. Obviously, has flown many times since then. So he's gotten used to it. That's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, uh, that it, was
1: one of the b- two bench stories that deal with this and that and uh then there was another story we had that i in spring training that happened right away i never been around major league ball players and so i was just shutting shutting up and listening and they had the uh in al lopez field there in tampa they they had the off the uh, uh lock lockers alphabetically you know set up so Don Newcomb was finishing his career with Cincinnati at that time. Yeah. In 1960. So there was Jerry Lynch and uh, on, on, uh, on, on the side of me, then me, then Newcomb. And Newcomb didn't like to fly. He was strictly scared to death to fly. And it was the same kind of deal where, you know, if you, we were getting ready to go to Miami and he didn't want to be on that flight. He says, I got to get drunk. He says, I'd get drunk. to get." Uh, this is what he said. I'd get drunk to fly. <laughs> and he says, I, I know, I, I'm scared to death of it. And then Jerry Lynch says, well, Nuke, didn't you read the Tampa Tribune this morning? And he looked at Lynch. He says, no. He says, what was it? He says, well, number one, he says, how did you get here? Well, he, first of all, he said, he said to Nuke, he says, he hated to fly. Well, how did you get here? Nuke says, well, <laughs> They send me a train ticket from L.A. to Tampa. I get on in L.A. They come all the way across to Arizona, beautiful. I sit there in the car, look at the desert, look at it, and they get into New Mexico, then Texas, all the way across. I eat there on a cloth tablecloth, and and I and guys shine my shoes, and I have a nice Pullman car. And he says, then I come into the Tampa uh, uh, train station, and a cab picks me up, and it take me right to the hotel. And he says, I, "He says it's the life of Riley." He says, "I don't have to worry about getting on a plane." So then then Jerry Lynn says, "Nuke, did you read about the uh, the? you uh, see the Tampa Tribune this morning?" Nuke says, "No. What happened?" He says, "They had a train wreck." He says, "They had a train wreck over there in uh, uh, Arizona." He said there was uh, the train jumped off the track, and there was five. Five uh, cars and people got maimed and some people seriously hurt, thrown all over the place. And and it, Nuke's eyes got as big as this and that. And he says, oh, my goodness. He says, what happened? And Lynch says, airplane hit it. <laughs> 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 I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, geez, these guys, these guys are tough. <laughs> well, you had
0: to have thick skin yeah. back then. Yeah. All right, we will get back to our conversation with the one and only Jim Maloney. But right now, a few words from our friends from Kroger.
1: To our Kroger associates, for the long hours and late nights, for the miles traveled and the shelves restocked, for making a difference in our customers' lives, for doing so much more than your job. Everyone at the Kroger family of brands and our customers say thank you. In a time when daily life feels a bit uncertain, your hard work is keeping America fed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Baseball sounds great, right? We're already thinking about our favorite stadium snacks to munch on during a Reds game. Sour Patch Kids is one of the classics. First they're sour, then they're sweet, and they're always delicious. Between the five flavors, of course, we all prefer red berry for obvious reasons, but hey, the other ones are pretty good too. Get some for the next game to munch on. Sour Patch Kids, sour,
0: sweet, gone. Enjoy Sour Patch Kids, available at Kroger throughout Red's country. Who is the guy, I remember you telling me someone that didn't like snakes? or something, and you had a...
1: Oh, that was, uh, yeah, no, the uh, uh, Julio Gotai. Julio Gotai, the... Uh, the um, uh, He was a little infielder they brought up with Houston in about 66 or 67. And uh, so I pitched against Houston in Crosley Field, and that Julio Gotai was leading off, and he was like Maury Wills. He could run like a deer, yeah, you know. and But he had trouble, you know, stealing first base. You know, he couldn't oh, yeah. hit the ball, you know, or but I came up there and he hit everything I threw up there. And he stole about four bases and he he scored he, he scored five runs or four runs. He stole he beat me by himself. So we're, two months later we're flying over back over to Houston. I'm sitting there with Edwards, catcher Johnny. And he, and Johnny says, "How oh, are we going to pitch Go Tie?" I said, "Jesus, I don't know." I says uh, I says I, I threw everything up there we did. We tried everything. Couldn't get him out. And so then uh, Pat Corrales. Was sitting behind me, and he, and he leaned up and he said, uh, I played against Gotai in, in, in uh, winter ball. And he says he has trouble with the uh, off, uh, off-speed pitches, the curveballs. Uh, but he says, I'll tell you what. I said, he's deathly afraid of snakes. Go, and uh, and uh, I said, what do you mean? He says, he says, you just start talking about a snake, and he'll, he'll run. He'll run the other direction. He's deathly afraid of snakes. So I says, wow, wow. I said, okay. So over next to the Rice Hotel, there was a novelty shop. And I was always fooling around the novelty shop. I got all kinds of stuff that I'd pull out, you know, different jokes and all that kind of stuff. I like to do that kind of stuff. So I went over there, and I bought a snake, a rubber snake. And it it looked like a coral snake. It looked like a real one. It was about a foot long. And it jingled real good. It had a it was looked like a real snake. So Edward says, "Well, what are you going to do with it?" I said, "I will tell you what, we're going to try to do with it." I says, "When the Go Tie comes up, he's got that thing where he comes up to the plate, and he and he puts the bat out right in front of him, and then he lifts the bat up in the air, and then he drops the bat down on the plate to cross the plate with his bat, and then he's ready to hit. And that's the way he does it." And I says, "I said." we get it OK, I says when he puts the bat out and when he lifts the bat up to the top, top point, the top of the dome, you throw the snake on home plate. And then when he comes down with the bat, we'll you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it's going to see it. So John says, well, that's a good idea. He says, let's go. So anyway, the Astrodome, when you go out to the field, you go by the uh, the umpire's uh, room there. So I went in there, and I knocked on the door, and they opened the door. And Ed Vargo, I got along with all those umpires. I so I told Ed Vargo, I said, "This tie guy's afraid of a snake. We got a rubber snake leading off." I says, "We're gonna to try to get it on home plate." I says, "If we throw it out there," He says, uh, "You okay with that?" He says, "Absolutely." So go for it. <laughs> the umpires umpire said, "Okay." Said, yeah. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. yes. <laughs> so anyway, he says, "Okay." <laughs> he says, "Okay." So we. I go back up there so we get ready for the game the warm up and and uh, so we we get it with the the, the uh, bat boy we told the bat boy to stand out there and when you see that snake go out on the home plate, whatever happens you immediately run out after the whatever happens you and get the snake get off the field and go back and take it up to the clubhouse get it out get it out of the way don't nobody can find it so he said okay, he would do that so we had that programmed out so Anyway, Gotay comes up, and so you know, Harry the Hat Walker, he was the manager. So when you the game starts, there's a lot of people sitting in the stands. They don't really see, pay too much. You know, it's just it's happens. So anyway, he comes up to the plate and he puts his bat straight out and bent. And uh, Johnny, he gets the snake out of his hip pocket and he holds it in his hand. And this Gotay puts the bat up toward the dome, up on top. And he threw the snake out on home plate. And when that go tied, put the bat down on the plate, he looked and he saw that snake. He threw the bat, almost hit the top of the Astrodome. He threw it up in the air. He let out a, scru- a scream like a, a, a wild Indian a banshee call or something. Ah! Uh, and he, when he hit, he jumped up about four feet off the ground. And when he hit the ground, he was running. He ran into the dugout and went all the way up to their clubhouse and locked himself in the clubhouse. (laughs) He went clear, huh? He went clear up the tunnel. Yeah, he left. So then, Harry the Walker, Harry Walker comes out here. He don't know what happened, and he's got he's mumbling. He says, "Vargo, what what happened here? What happened to my guy?" Vargo says, "Get a hitter, get a hitter in here." He says, "We're gonna start this game." So he goes back to the dugout. And so Vargo's looking over to the dugout, and he's sort of smiling through the deal t- there. You know, he's going well with it. And uh, so here comes uh, 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 Walker again. he says, what did you do to my guy out here? He's up in the clubhouse, and he's locked himself in the, in, the, uh, in the closet, and nobody can get to him. He won't come out. What did you do to him? He says, get a hitter in here. I'm going to call this game. So anyway... They put Bob Lillis in there, and uh, I got him out. Oh, for three, struck him out three times. We win the game, four to nothing. <laughs> so you were, you were, you almost have to do what you have to do. <laughs> I can't believe the umpire was in on it. Yeah, they 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 go. They wow. didn't. Now uh, another time I was throwing that K Y jelly bar uh, deal, and I, we were at, uh, Bristol was managing. And I was pitching against Gaylord Perry, who threw a, a grease ball every pitch. Every pitch. Every pitch. And it just go down a little right. bit. it go down a little bit. Not much. So I didn't even have my – I had my KY jelly with me, but I didn't have it on. I wasn't even going to mess with it, start out with. So anyway, Rose went up to hit. He hit a ground ball. He hit that – he hit the spitter on top of it, and he hit a ground ball second base. So he comes back to the dugout. Those dugouts of Candlestick, they didn't have a th- – you just stood up in there – and he's yelling, standing up. He says, check the ball, Burkhart. Uh, Burkhart, Ken, check the ball. Burkhart. check the ball. Throwing a grease ball. Check that ball. And Burkhardt's looking over at him. Check the ball. He says, he's not doing this and that. So then Bristol comes over to me. He says, you got your KY jelly? And I says, yeah. He says, he says get greased up. He says, I want you to start throwing a KY jelly ball. So I says, Okay.
0: Get greased up. I love that.
1: <laughs> so, anyway, he says, yeah, I, got, I put it on me. So, we get out. I have to go out. So, I warm up. So, the first, so Bench, Bench had the sign in those days. You know, we had the sign. He would. Uh, oh, yeah. After yeah, you he So, he, he would know it was coming. <laughs> you know, he would give me like, he uh, hit the end of his glove dealer and I'd hit my, my knee. And that'd mean I had it loaded up and he could look for it. So, anyway. I told Bench, I said, Bristol wants me to throw a few more grease balls or uh, KY jelly balls. He says, okay, we'll, we'll get to, to get at Gaylord Perry. So anyway, the first pitch I throw, the first grease, uh, KY jelly ball I throw, it exploded, dropped. Their dugout dugouts yelling, hey, Burkhardt, check the ball. Check the ball. He's got something on that ball. That ball, didn't you see how that ball was? What's wrong with you? Check the ball. And Burkhard, he's looking over at <laughs> their, their dugout. He's yelling, so then I throw another one. Same thing. Hey, check the ball. What was that pitch? What was that pitch? you're yelling. What was that pitch? Burkhardt, he rips his mask off. Boom. He takes the stomps over toward their dugout. He gets halfway over there, and he says he's got veins coming out of his neck. He says, I don't know what the heck kind of pitch that was, but whatever it was, it was the best one I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Play ball, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: I just, I love the game back then. I just, I love the game back then. Although there would be a major, it would be a major story about the snake on home plate today. And they'd find out the home plate umpire was in on it and it'd be a whole new cheating scandal. (laughs) Like you guys would have
1: been the Astros of the the season. Yeah, it was something else.
0: What?
1: I I had another deal where I, uh, when it was cold early in the year, and, uh, I had a good curve, but I, I it, when the balls are slick, when it's cold, you know, early in the year, the ball, they let you w- blow in your hand, you know, and it gives you a little bit of traction on your f- fingers. And, uh, but I, I, I would use pine tar because pine tar, I could put that time, oh, pine yeah. tar on my fingertips and it would give me a nice grip. Oh yeah. Wouldn't do anything to the ball, but I could throw a real good curve ball with it, you know? Right. And, uh. But it would, it would make the ball black a little bit, I mean, because pine tar was black. Hard to hide, too. Huh? Hard hard to hide, too, to
0: oh, put no. it on your uniform. Yeah, Where'd no, you...
1: no, no. I didn't put it on my uniform. I had a, a pine tar rag in the dugout. Oh, okay. And I just loaded my fingers up real good with it at, gotcha. uh, when I started the the deal. And uh, the general, uh, Gene Mock was the manager of the Phillies, and he was coaching third base. That In those days, he coached. They yeah. didn't manage from the dugout. He right. did. Some of yeah. Most of them did, but he was on third base. So I'm throwing that curveball. They're not hitting me. I mean, I'm I'm going right through them. And he's yelling, check his hand. He says he's got something on his hand. I can hear him over there, see what on the mound. And Frank Sicori was the umpire at third base. He said, check his hand. He's, he's, he's cheating. Check his hand. He's, no, he's He's got something on his hand. See what he's got on his hand. Well, it, that went on for an inning. And I'm waiting for the umpire to come and check me. And I'm getting a little bit leery. I don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, I start the next inning and the same thing. I had You could see my hand, my fingers were black. Singer tips. And uh, he started yelling again. And finally I heard, time. Frank Sicori called time. And here he comes. I'm thinking, uh-oh. I said, I don't know what's going to happen here. So anyway, he comes over there and he says, hey, Jim. He says, "Mox yelling. I said, I hear him. I hear him yelling on every pitch. He says, yeah, he wants me to check your hand. So I says, okay. So I took my hand and I put it out with the top of my hand on. I had my underhand pointed down. I had the top of the hand. He says, no, he says, turn your hand over. I turn my hand over. My fingertips are black on the, you can't miss them. It's so black. He takes my wrist and he turns my hand over and back and forth. He says, I don't see anything wrong here. There's nothing wrong with this guy. Let him go and shut up over here. Let's go play ball. <laughs> and my fingertips were totally black. He let it go. <laughs> yeah, he let it go. Why do you think he let it go? They didn't do They didn't force anything in those days. Yeah. They got no enforcement from uh, Giles in the front office, in the president's office. He didn't back him, So they just let things go. So they there was they, a lot of guys through spitballs.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, so they got no backing from the league office. Well, so that's they, what I understood. You yeah. know, that's a
1: long time ago. You know. Oh yeah.
0: So so if they're not going to get backing, yeah.
1: They, you I let, had I had, uh, uh, Hutch called me in one day, and I was had that Fred pine Hutchinson. T- Fred Hutchinson. Yeah, early in my career, I was throwing that pine tar with that curve early in the year, and uh, I didn't know, but the visiting team was taking balls, the foul balls, they were taking them. They lined him up, so they sent him up there to Giles, and Giles brought him over to the uh, his offices in Cincinnati. You know. Yeah. And so Hutch called me in the office, and I went in the office, and there's Giles sitting there. I didn't know him. You know, I knew who he was. He introduced me to him. Uh, so Giles looked at him, and Hutch says, "Hey, he says uh, these balls come out of the game when you were pitching." He says, "What? He says what? What? What's? Uh, how come they got all marked up like this?" And, uh, man, they had, like, zebra stripes on them, you know. They were, like, like <laughs> it was about eight balls in this thing, you know. And I says, well, I can't imagine what would make something go like that. And then Giles says, well, I can't imagine either. And that was all said. I got up and left. Nothing was said about it.
0: Oh, wow. Had the proof <laughs> right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hutch says, you know, says, well, I'm, <laughs> that was a good answer. He says, I like that one. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. You want to talk about policing your own game. I mean, yeah. just letting you, guys, letting you guys go.
1: Yeah. No, they – so, you know, you look at Perry. They yell about uh, stealing signs, you know. Uh, and, you know, Perry threw a, a spitball. He cheated every pitch. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There's a lot of guys like that, you know, that are on the Hall of Fame that had some kind of cheated. I can guarantee you that if any player – Today or yesterday or way, way yesterday, if they went on a uniform, they're making a living, and if they can find a way that will enhance their batting average or their strength in their pitching, throwing, they'll try it. That's steroids. You know, they found out that steroids were making these guys, they were hitting the ball stronger or oh, longer. Yeah. And uh, But they did it b- beside the consequences of maybe having brain tumors after they quit. You right. Know, or, reaction this or that so anytime that somebody's can get an advantage somebody's going to try it I mean I don't care who they are it's just a natural deal oh there's no doubt about it I mean, yeah you look it's at it's a natural deal
0: money that's made today yeah
1: um, but the thing about a ster- the steroid deal is uh, you know uh, got bonds and those guys uh, you could you could give a steroid to a, tw- a 220 hitter 220 hitter or 190 hitter. I don't care how many steroids you takes, he's still going to hit 190. It, it, it don't improve your eye to, you know, to hit balls. Right. I mean, it uh, maybe give you a little more strength, but not not it's going to improve your average. Now Bonds, whether he took steroids or not, that guy was a terrific hitter.
0: Well, even before he ballooned up and yeah. got big, he was a, a terrific. I mean, hitter. he had Hall of Fame numbers before. No, that's oh, exactly he right. Did
1: that. Exactly right. So, but anyway, they. Uh, but well, they did the right thing in getting rid of that stuff anyway. That stuff is uh, it'll kill you anyway when you quit taking it. Oh, the the side effects. Yeah, and the, no, The things that's right. that I hear. Yeah.
0: Um, off the record right. of what some right guys are going through now, uh, which you know they won't talk about, but um, yeah, scary stuff. Yeah. Like scary, scary stuff. Much more than just loading up a KY jelly ball. <laughs>
1: well, that's pretty serious in those days, I guess. <laughs>
0: I don't know, I just, that term cracks me up. I got the KY ball. Yeah. Uh, I loaded it up.
1: Yeah. They-, <laughs> they had a guy in, in uh, Chicago, Phil Regan. They called him the Hawk or Eagle or something. I don't know what it was. He was a reliever, and he was doing the same thing. He had the this, this spitball, and, and he threw some uh, other kind of deal. And uh, they'd go check him out. You know, they'd make an effort, check him, and they'd let him go, and, oh, I'm not doing any. not doing anything. Anyway, he got on base, In Chicago was cold. He had to have a jacket on. He came around third base. He had to slide at home plate and ran into the catcher. Boom. And uh, I don't know, there was a file fell out of his pocket and a and a bottle of uh, uh, Vaseline and two or three other different things that shouldn't have been there. The whole you know? kit fell out and, of his pocket. Yeah, right on home plate. Did they do anything? They no, just, nothing. Just he picked it up just, and went on about his you know, business. No, he picked it up and put it back in his pocket and took <laughs> off. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> See, that's just great. I don't know. It's just great. It, yeah. I, I just love the old stories. I could listen to them all day long. <sighs> oh, that's tremendous. <Dude>. <laughs> how, how appreciative are you? There was many years where the Reds didn't necessarily connect with the past players, and but you guys have a free invitation here at spring training uh, to come back. I mean, you're sitting here with a number 46 on, a Reds jersey with Maloney on it, and to be involved, this current ownership group that is welcoming these former players back. How appreciative are you? Oh,
1: that? man, I can't say enough for uh, uh, Bob Castellini and his family. Uh, if it wasn't for him, uh, I never ha- would have been invited anywhere with the Reds. Mm. I was... Because uh, you went several years with it. You never heard from the Never even system. heard from none of the, All the ownerships or the, this and that, they never invited me to anything, no Reds Fest or any of that stuff that went on. Uh, I just wasn't involved until the Casolini family bought the franchise, and bingo, all of a sudden they were getting in contact with the alumni. They had me doing stuff, uh, coming back. Uh, spring training like I am now my wife they invite her uh, we get to go to a couple of nice uh, uh, social parties with the owners and uh, which I'm like, thankful you know, for because that's how I got to know you at these. yeah that's right these that's right yeah and uh, we're very very appreciative I I is, is when I come out here and I put this thing on even though I'm 79 years old I uh, it brings me back to spring training I mean it takes me you know back in my mind, you know, oh, memory yeah. of, uh, man, you know, what the times we used to have in spring training, it was yeah. wonderful. Even though they have a complex like this today compared to a complex that we had 50 years ago, yeah. there's a big improvement. Let me tell you. Oh, no, no and, question. Uh, it's an honor to even be involved in this, uh, operation and, uh, they, they do a wonderful job. They, they, uh, the whole organization, Sean uh, Pender, he's the one invited me to mm-hmm. uh, do that thing with the kids today, and uh, they try to get, he's going to get Mario uh, Soto, and, you know, to so the kids can relate to the old-timers. They don't know who we are, you know, I mean, really. Well, I uh,
0: guarantee you, though, they're going on their phone, and they're clicking, they're no, putting that's Jim right. Maloney in no, there, I know that. and they're so like, oh, wow, this dude that did no it, hitters, it gives, and this, exactly. this guy's that, been there, done that.
1: It gives us exactly an opportunity, and then... Yeah. You know, I've got to meet a lot of the pitchers that uh, in the last 11 years uh, since we've been coming here, uh, well, this, even before I was going to Sarasota for a week, when, I don't know, how long has uh, they've owned the ball club now? 15 years or so? Yeah, it's going on, that. yeah. Yeah, it's been that long. Well, uh, over the years, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've got to know a lot of these pitchers and some of them have asked me, uh, different things, some of them don't ask me. I mean that you know it's fine. I but I'm available if somebody wants to talk to me. Right.
0: So, No, I, I think it's it's tremendous. Uh, the Reds have such a a great history. Why wouldn't you want to bring back these players?
1: No, that's uh, right.
0: And it's been an open invitation, as I said, and it's just great. You you, you don't know who you're going to see from one day to the next. Whether it's you or the aforementioned Johnny Bench has been out here. Barry Lark and Eric Davis are out here on a daily basis working right. with these players right. and um just guys come in and out i think it's tremendous right um you uh fresno native you're still in fresno right how yes. are you doing today you mentioned right. you're 79 years young yes um, the 80 in june 80 in june yeah. god bless you how uh how are things how's how's life on everyday basis for jim alone uh, nowadays uh,
1: we're fortunate i've had some bumps in rows of health wise yeah. uh, but uh, as today is i'm getting along pretty
0: good You've been very involved in um, talking to people over the years about alcoholism, ha- right. have you not? Uh, that is correct. And how long has it been recovering? Thirty-five now? years. Thirty-five years, 35 man. Great years. job. Yeah, thank you. Um, and
1: did correct me if I'm wrong. Did you even serve in Fresno on the? Yeah. No, I worked. I, I I became a drug and alcohol counselor. I went yeah, to school and became a. And then I ran a uh, uh, alcoholism and drug abuse council. I ran a place. Uh, it wasn't a treatment place, but it, we. Uh, uh d- went into schools and talked and uh i did a lot of that and uh, uh we did a lot of assessments i did a lot of assessments and referred people to where they could get help you know and mm-hmm. uh, this and that but that was one subject i did talk about with the kids this morning
0: did you really uh, yeah and uh how did you share it? what did you s- uh, say no, that i y- ran into yeah, some problems no, i told
1: as- them about my my deal where i had problems and uh and uh that you know, you're responsible for your own behavior. And I said, in baseball, there's a lot of spare downtime. And uh, the guys like to go to bars and drink. And that's part of the deal. And if you do that and you can drink one beer or two beers and that's it, that's fine. But when you start to see uh, progressively starting to get worse, uh, maybe you catch a DUI down the road. And it's all inv- because of alcohol. And you might need to take a look at it, you know, before because right. it's only going to get worse not going to get better. And uh, it's a nasty disease really is. Uh, so many families uh, become affected and it affects everybody in the family, people you work with. Uh, you know, it just uh, uh, when you have an alcoholic in a family, uh, you don't want to upset the alcoholic so everybody runs their behavior around your behavior. You know, they're not running their own behavior. And it's, it's called a codependency. And uh, I've learned a lot, awful lot. I, uh, I, in fact, I went to treatment here uh, in Wickenburg, Arizona. Really? Yeah, forty-two days. I was there in a treatment program. Forty-two days. Still wow. there. A place called the Meadows. Yeah. Still there. Wow.
0: Forty-two days. Uh, did it? It take sick. that long, or that was how long the program was? It, no, that,
1: that was. Uh, they 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 said I needed to be there forty-two days, yeah. and uh, uh, that was it. But you know, it's, it's, um, what it is, it's, you know, I was introduced to AA and, um, uh, I've been involved in AA for all these years. Uh, I go to meetings, not that I'm going to drink today, but it's to help the other guy coming through the door. And, uh, that's what it's all about is one guy helping another guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, working the 12 step program. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and, uh, there's some, you know, there's some other things involved. Uh, 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 getting God back in your life is the God of your understanding. It's not a name, name God, but that's why A works, because it doesn't say it's Buddha or Jesus or whatever. God of your understanding. So, and you get, you know, it's a spiritual program. It's a wonderful program. It's everybody should be in a 12-step program, you know, because the first step says... We admit that we're powerless over alcohol and our life becomes unmanageable that's the first step as you can say we admit that we're powerless over life and our li- and our life becomes unmanageable which you know is true no question yeah so that's uh so uh, me being an alcoholic uh, the best thing that, you know that i can say that happened to me being an alcoholic was introduced to alcoholics anonymous that's a plus but it's the other stuff is all negative i mean you don't wanna you know you you there's uh, denial involved majorly major-, major uh, denial's a major subject of alcoholism you know if uh, I'm unhappy with my job there's a reason why i drink uh if you were married to her you'd drink too you know or vice versa if you were married to him right right you know and uh, i'm unhappy with you know all this stuff and I only drink after five o'clock yeah i mean it's all you know it's all uh, a denial, denial deal. So that's for the process when you, when you learn, you break down the denial process and you become honest. You get honest with yourself. See, uh, alcoholics, they don't know how to tell the truth, or drug addicts, or whatever you want to say. They're always, everything coming out of their mouth is a lie. That's why when, when cops stop them and, you know, there's that, they don't believe a word they're saying. They're all lying, you know, right. every one of them. So, right. Because they're not honest. So you learn to become honest and uh it's it, you know, it's it's um, it's a great life. I mean it's, it's certainly uh I, I don't think I'd be here today if I wouldn't have stopped drinking, I'd been dead.
0: It was that bad? It was
1: Yeah. Well it's a terminal disease. Yeah. You lose your life to it yeah. sooner or later. Yeah. Overdose or hit a car get in a car wreck or whatever. Cirrhosis of the liver, physical problems. Right. Fall a lot of guys fall drunk, hit their head, yeah, kill, die, you know. So,
0: 35 years, man, yeah, 35. that is that is awesome. No alcohol, it's um, terrific. I'm, that is yeah. awesome. And the fact that you um help other people and yeah. that you still go to AA meetings, That's like right. you said, I, I don't think that you have the urge to drink nowadays. No, I, I,
1: I really don't believe I'm going to drink, I mean, actually, yeah. I can't take but it for you, granted, but you I,
0: do it to help others, That's, yes.
1: That's exactly what that's the program is.
0: Yeah, that's because you don't have to go to the, if you don't yeah. have an urge to drink, you don't necessarily no, have to go to those meetings. No. So I
1: would well. never tell anybody that's early in alcoholic alcoholic recovery to go on a cruise. Yeah. I mean I would I'd say you don't want to go right. on a cruise. It's what AA calls a slippery place, you know, a slippery place. Yeah. Cuz it's like it's like smoking. Uh nicotine's a very highly addicting drug and you stop smoking. I never smoked, but, I mean, you stop smoking for a year, two years, three years. You pick up one cigarette and have a cigarette. Bango, you're off to the races again. Same right. way with alcohol, drug. You, once you stop, I could have a drink. Like I could go back to the hotel, stop and, and get a uh, couple of beers, drink a couple of beers, back to, and uh, I'm gone after 35 years. In a very short period of time, probably less than two weeks, I'll be right where I was 35 years ago and worse you know that's sort of cunning baffling and powerful that's what alcohol is is
0: really powerful yeah to think that you could yeah if you just fall off the ledge. so
1: that's that's why that's that's what happens when people they call it fall off the wagon but it's it's a relapse yeah you know in recovery you relapse and what recovery is, is total abstinence of all mind altering chemicals one day at a time right I just live one day at a time
0: wow if you live any more than that, no, that's
1: it. <laughs> Yesterday's gone to no, tomorrow's or today or tomorrow's not here. So,
0: or tomorrow's not guaranteed. And, uh, thank either, God I so. haven't
1: had a drink today, so that's the way it works. That's awesome.
0: I'm so happy to hear that. In 35 years, congratulations. Yes. Thank on you that, very my much, friend. Jimmy. Appreciate that. Yeah, you got it. I, I appreciate the time. By the way, um, just for future reference, the cowboy Jeff Brantley also afraid of snakes. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I got him good.
1: Oh, that's good. a good
0: one. I got him good twice, in fact, <laughs> that's a good one. with a fake snake. The so I was inspired by you that I went out and got a fake snake. And, it was, and I, put, I put it on his, uh, <laughs> when he, we were doing a game. Or no, It was uh, he was doing a TV game. And uh, I was doing sidelines that day. So I put it, um, <laughs> he left the booth, and I put it right on top of his bag because he's always getting stuff out of his bag, and it sits right by him. And he went down to get something out of his bag, and he saw that snake, and he knocked over three tables to get out of it. Oh poop. boy. <laughs> I tell you, it's like... And why is it ghost? <laughs> That's a I good am one. Down the hallway. That's a good one. I'm ready one. <laughs> to be my pants. He, he's never forgiven me. And I got him one other time after that. <laughs> Not as good as putting one on home plate in a a game. Nothing will ever top that. That's the all time. With about 30,000 people (laughs) in the stands. That's the all time fake snake story. I mean, it just ever, nothing will ever top that. (laughs) But yeah, for future reference, if if you're around the Cowboy and you want want to get him. Good one
1: to know. (laughs) I'll put that down. in My bank, my memory bank. (laughs) There you go.
0: Jim Maloney, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, man, I, I, I love it. And, uh, I think Reds fans are appreciative that guys like you are at Reds Fest or just around and in the fold still. So, uh, congratulations on everything. And, uh, give our best to Lynn as well. Uh, thank you very much, Jimmy. You bet. My and, pleasure. Yes, that is Jim Maloney, the great <laughs> Jim Maloney, the legend yeah. Jim Maloney. This Ooh. has been the Jim Day podcast. We hope that you will subscribe, rate and review, pass the word, uh, follow along on social media at Jim Day TV on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, thanks for listening again uh, here on the Jim Day podcast.